We are back with another edition of the DNVR Rams podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. The wait is finally over. DraftKings has brought legal sports betting right here to Colorado. And just imagine how much more fun watching a game is going to be when you have a little bit of skin in the game. Best way to get in on this action is with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app. This isn't some offshore operation like, I don't know, other gambling sites. DraftKings is a legitimate sportsbook based right here in the U.S. So you can be confident that your funds are secure. With DraftKings Sportsbook, you can bet from wherever, whenever. You don't even have to leave your house. And luckily for us, we don't even have to wait that long for a major sporting event to bet on with UFC continuing to bring us action. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code DNVR when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. Don't forget, under the code DNVR, get your sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, joining me today, we've got Eli Betker, college basketball fans of the world. They know who he is. Uh, one of the guys that I respect in college basketball media more than just about anyone because, you know, he knows more than about college basketball than just about anyone. Eli, what's up, my dude? Uh, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. And uh, it was a nice entry you gave me there. So thanks for that. <laughs> I got to butter you up a little bit, man. That's the, <laughs> but uh, Eli is the founder of Heat Check College Basketball. Also has worked at Sporting News, did some stuff for Mountain West Wire. Uh, that's kind of how he and I started interacting. God, it was probably like five years ago now. Yeah. Talking yeah. about Mountain West basketball. But uh, Eli... What's been up with Heat Check, man? How are things going? Yeah, it's been going well. Uh, the timing, of course, was a little off on that. I, I started this mid-February. I had all these big plans of doing things during March Madness. And I think I was, I was midway through about a 20-page March Madness guide when I got the tweet that said that the tournament was canceled. So I was like, well, I have to make the most of that, but um, just trying to be creative with it, trying to do some things right now because there are no games and just college basketball offseason in itself can be really, really boring and sluggish. So um, I'm excited to to bring some new writers in. We've got Brian Roth, Lucas Harkins, and Connor Hope coming on. So I'm excited to work with those guys and we'll we'll see what the future holds with that. All good college basketball follows. Make sure you check out all of those guys as well. Uh, one of the creative things you're doing, obviously, is this simulation. And, you know, I figured instead of me trying to explain what it is, it would be better to just, you know, bring you on here and have you kind of give an idea of, you know, what it is and, and how it's going to work this summer. Yeah. So I've, the, how, where do I start with this? So I guess going <laughs> back to, it's, it is just this big kind of chaotic, complicated thing. But I guess the easiest way is going back to, elementary school and middle school, I used to go to like Walgreens or CBS and I would buy these composite or composition notebooks. And I would just fill it up with 
all sorts of like fictitious rosters and stats and schedules and stuff. And that's really how I, I guess that's really how I became involved in writing that I do now is because that just kind of piqued my curiosity in the sport and how things work. So obviously with COVID and stuff going on, I, my brain immediately goes to what can I do to bring people to my site and just kind of create a fun atmosphere for people to enjoy college basketball when there is none. So essentially what this is, is it's all through, I, I don't have the HTML or coding experience. So this is all through like Google docs and Google forms and spreadsheets and stuff. But what I've done is I've created this almost like fictitious college basketball universe where you have a ton of, uh, players that are based off previous names of players. Like I have a, a spreadsheet that has random generated player names and you have uh, player ratings for, for each of the individuals and uh, just kind of creating almost its own universe where uh, an individual like yourself and, and like me can own a college basketball team and go through the course of the season where you're recruiting players or you're um, participating in some of these uh, multi-team events and things like that. So um, all of it's based on the numbers that you actually see in college basketball. Like I have, I think, I don't know if it's like 15% of all incoming players are JUCO transferred or something like that, but all of that's been included within the game. So it's trying to, to bring, even though it's a spreadsheet game, but trying to bring that spreadsheet to life, and so to speak. So how long did it take to like, was the setup for all of this? Because I mean, I'm, I'm operating Colorado state. I actually haven't talked about it on the podcast yet, but I'm going to manage Colorado state for this. And I'm really excited. So thank you for putting all this together. But I mean, just, just looking at the packet alone, like you can tell how intense this process was, you know, about how much time do you, would you say you had to put into this whole process? Well, I would say this this like template, so to speak, or just how this whole thing works goes back to what I did in like elementary school, middle school. So I kind of had the general idea laid out. Um, and while I was in Charlotte at Sporting News, I kind of developed my own little mini game to keep me entertained while I'm off work and stuff, just just for something to do. So I had the bulk of it probably already done. And I think I woke up maybe... It was a Saturday. I think it might have been two weeks ago. And I was like, well, there's nothing going on right now. I should I should try just try my hand and seeing if I can make this uh, make this kind of like a user experience, bring people in and then try to run their own teams. So the the whole process of like how the teams are um, designed, I guess, and all the players and stuff that that takes very little time. But incorporating how you deal with like essentially 352 people who are all submitting things multiple times a week, figuring out how to do that is what's taken the longest and, and just making sure that there are no gray areas or aren't any major hiccups or things that could go wrong. So that's been, that's been the, the main thing for me that over the past couple of weeks is just making sure that it runs as fluidly as possible. And I, I know there will be issues along the way of, I was not expecting some things that have already happened that have happened, but uh, just making sure that that makes a lot of sense for everyone. I know there's like a lot of, you know, forms and spreadsheets and stuff that go into it. So it's kind of a complicated process to explain, but can you give just a little bit of insight into like how a, how a simulation game is going to work through all of this? Like 
for instance, I'm managing Colorado State. Arizona State is one of the teams that's actually coming to Moby Arena on my fictitious schedule. How is that simulation, CSU versus Arizona State, going to play out? Right. So each individual player has an offensive and a defensive rating, and those ratings um, all combine to make up a team's overall rating. So those ratings are private just for the sake of the game itself. And even if they were released, it wouldn't make any sense to to, to you or someone who doesn't actually have the spreadsheets in front of them. But the way that an individual game would work is you take Colorado State's offense offensive rating and then you would combine it with Arizona State's defensive rating and do the opposite for Arizona State. And so you have an individual team rating for an individual game. So if you're playing a fantastic opponent versus playing a weak opponent, it won't be the same rating. And then the way that that works is I have um, kind of like another spreadsheet or a chart that shows um, based on a random number, which is how all of the individual games work. It'll say how many points per half each team will earn. So you might have a team rating of, let's say 12 for an individual game and you have a a randomization of say like 16 and 12. And so that might mean you have 38 points in the first half and 34 points in the second half, and then you have 72 total. So, so that's how it works for an individual game. And then also counting for things like if you have overtime and, and things like that. Interesting, man. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to get involved in this. I'm excited for the whole process how to schedule exhibitions, recruiting, the whole thing. Um, obviously, though, I wanted to get you on here and pick your brain a little bit about CSU men's basketball and the Mountain West as a whole because you know this is a league that you and I follow really closely. It's one where you know it, some years it's one of the best G5 t- leagues there is. In other years, like the last five or six years, you know, it's kind of been pretty sporadic. So. You know, who are some teams in the Mountain West that you are intrigued by heading into next season? Yeah, I think I think there are a lot of intriguing teams next season. I think that is often the case with the Mountain West. I think one in particular that stands out to me is UNLV. And I have a lot of people that follow me and think I have something against the UNLV fan base, which I obviously don't. But they've they've really struggled in recent seasons to bring back their guys uh, over the course of the offseason. They've had multiple transfers who are starters uh, almost every year, dating back to probably the early 2010s. And it happened this year again with Amari Hardy and now Donnie Tillman leaving. But I really like what they bring back. They have David Jenkins, who's the South Dakota State transfer. Uh, He played with TJ Otzelberger and was just phenomenal his first two years. Um, And then they also have Marvin Coleman, who's a good role player. Um, so I, I think that their guard play could be could be really special. Um, it's it's one of those teams where you have some belief in the coach. Uh, I, I think that TJ could have some serious promise, uh, but a lot of the question marks that he has is uh, was this coach just guided by what Mike Dom did at South Dakota State? And I think that's going to be the big question mark for him. And it, yeah, he had a very successful year one with UNLV and. I think they could do some really good things this this upcoming season. I think you made some really great points there. UNLV definitely came on strong at the end there. Uh, obviously gave Colorado State a pretty decent beat down. I ended up taking down San Diego State. Um, 
It's in- interesting that you brought up the roster turnover because that definitely has been an issue for them. And I'm not sure it comes up as much as, you know, say San Jose State, whereas mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's been really obvious with them basically losing their leading score like every year that I can remember. Yeah. It's, it's really unfortunate. Um, you know, along with UNLV, who are some teams on the opposite end? Like, who are some teams that you expect to maybe take a step back next year? Yeah, I think. I think San Diego State's one that immediately comes to mind. I just think it's so hard to even come close to replicating what they did this past season. They're just phenomenal, uh, just completely dominant. And it's such a shame that they didn't have the chance to really live out what the remainder of the season would look like. But um, it it wasn't a huge surprise. But I think with Malachi Flynn leaving, that's a really big deal for them. I had said for the longest time that Flynn is exactly what San Diego State needed. They needed that type of guard who could create and be efficient from the point guard position. Uh, And then they bring in Terrell Gomez, who is a good scorer in his own right. He can uh, hit three-pointers like crazy, Uh, but he's listed at 5'8", I believe. Uh, He doesn't have much height. Um, That's something that will always come up. And I, you have to question whether Nathan Mensa will be healthy. And if he is, then I think San Diego State could be um, the front runner again, the Mountain West. A lot of those teams that you think could creep up on them have also had offseason losses. So I think that they'll still be in good shape. But uh, to project them finishing even top 10, top 15 in the nation, I think is, is going to be quite a bit of a stretch right now. Yeah, I mean, when you look around the league, there's just there are a lot of scores, like dominant scores that have moved on. Utah State with Sam Merrill, Jalen Harris is obviously deciding to forego his eligibility and stay in the draft. Uh, that was an interesting decision to me. Uh, because of that, though, I think CSU fans they feel kind of confident about the Rams going into next year. I'm not saying necessarily there are people thinking like you know CSU is going to win the league or anything like that, but I, I do think that they should at least be in the conversation for those you know, top four or five teams in the Mountain West, just given what the other teams have lost and the young talent that they return. Yeah, absolutely. I think so often the way that we project teams heading into the season is just based on the team itself, but you really have to look at what the other teams have done around them. And you have a lot of teams like Nevada is a really good example. They were solid this past season, but they lose almost their entire core and I mean, you, you put trust in Steve Alford, but you obviously have a lot of questions about them. But I think going back with Colorado State, they probably have the best young core in the conference. Isaiah Stevens was fantastic this past season. Kendall Moore is really good. Uh, David Roddy, he, he impressed me quite a bit. I wasn't expecting that level of production from, from him in year one. And uh, the, the big question mark for them will always be, can they replace Nico Carvacho? But I don't really think it's that simple. I think and same case goes for Utah State with Sam Merrill. I don't think you necessarily have to just try to plug and play someone to try to fit the role of Nico Carvacho. You could play more of a wide open style. You could run tempo. You don't always need to have that back to the basket guy. And I think that's something that I would guess Nico Medved's considering this offseason of how they're going to operate without that big man down low. Um, but I think I, that. Colorado State's one of those teams that I think could really sneak up on some some groups this year. And if that defense can take another step forward, I think they could definitely be in that top three, top four range, like you said. I really like that you brought brought up the pace and how it might change next year because, you know, obviously losing Nico's presence in the locker room as a leader, that's a big loss. One of the, you know, best rebounders in the country. 
a, you know, great teammate, all of that stuff. Those are all factors you have to consider. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed with CSU last year is there were actually moments when Nico was off the floor and you saw how much faster the Rams played on offense. And just given how you know athletic guys like Isaiah Stevens, David Roddy are, I think there's a potential where this actually benefits them, at least from an offensive standpoint. It could. Yeah, it definitely could. And, and that's kind of the, the highs and lows of having that type of back-to-the-basket center is you can, you can go to him when the shot clock's running down and you could count on him for probably scoring whatever it is, like 1.2 or 1.3 points per possession or whatever that is. But you also have the freedom, as you mentioned, when he's off the bench, you can kind of let things go a little bit. And, and maybe your post is only 6'7 or 6'8. But if you, can, if you can run that style and run it effectively, it can really wear out some of those teams that might not be able to, to catch up with Colorado State. And I mean, as you know, Moby Arena can be a difficult place to play. That, that place, it's not, it's not great in size. It's not, uh, not a massive arena by any means, but that can be a really challenging place to play. And some of the conference's best teams like San Diego State and Utah State in recent years have had trouble there. Um, and if you're able to mix up the style and, and really create this type of a chaotic or, or pressure atmosphere, I think it bodes well for a CSU. You know, obviously... You know, you're following college basketball on a much wider scale than I am. So I don't, you know, I know you aren't able to watch every CSU game or anything like that. But, you know, I do trust your analysis. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, given that we're going into year three with Nico Medved, I, I feel like that's kind of the point where you can really start to give an honest assessment of how a coach is doing at this point. You know, it's his roster. He's had a chance to turn things around. What is your impression of CSU, you know, right now? Obviously, you brought up you're your intrigued by the young core, but how do you feel the staff has done over the first two years? And you know, is, are there areas where you feel like they could improve? Yeah, I think I think Medved's done a fine job. I really like his coaching staff. I think they have some excellent assistant coaches on that group who have contributed quite a bit, and that even um, goes before what what Medved did, but. I think year three, as you mentioned, that's that's a big one for a coach who's uh, new to a program. Uh, I think a lot of CSU fans would have hoped they could have accomplished a bit more with Carvacho on the roster. Uh, but you now have an opportunity where these are almost entirely Medved's guys. These are guys that he recruited or that he brought in. And uh, in, in year three, now that you have this young core, you have guys that have shown promise. I think this is an opportunity for... CSU to take that next step, maybe finish around top three, maybe win 20 games or something like that. But if you do take a step back in year three, then that, that really changes things. And I think that could uh, present a, a tough situation for, uh, for that coaching staff. I, I think the main key for them is to get better defensively. That's been something that's kind of plagued that team the last two years. Uh, they've been efficient on the offensive end, not so much on the defensive end. If, if they're able to bump that up a notch, I think that they'll be in really good shape and uh, Medved would uh, have a pretty good track record for, for himself in Fort Collins. I think, you know, the coaching staff would, would say the exact same thing. You know, they were awful defensively in year one. Um, part of that had to do with some of the, the old roster and not buying in. You know, they, they did actually take pretty decent strides last year. If you look at the individual like points per possession, uh, pretty much everybody on the team did improve. But it was like a situation where they went from absolutely awful to like generally competent. And so if they're going to, 
you know, be in a position where they compete consistently. They definitely need to improve on the defensive end. Um, I'm curious, who are some some guys you expect to be in the conversation uh, for front runner for Mountain West Player of the Year? And do you think Isaiah Stevens can potentially be in that conversation? Yeah, for Stevens, I think definitely. And I think part of part of the departures that CSU has this offseason could open things up for Stevens. And kind of going back to what we mentioned earlier about how more fluid CSU looked when they, they ran up-tempo, I think that plays into Stevens' game just fantastic. And he's a speedster. He can really run up and down the floor and produce on his own. So I... And, Averaging, I think, 13 or 14 as a, as a freshman, that bodes really well for him in year two. Um, and it's obviously great to see him sticking around with, uh, with, a, with a non-Power 6 program. I think other places around the conference, I really like Utah State. Their front court is, is just one of the best in the nation. Um, I, will, I will leave my mark as the, the founding member of the Justin Bean fan club. I think he's fantastic. What a stud, man. Yeah, he's he's awesome. He's like the the ultimate guy that you'd want to have on your roster. This this former walk-on uh from the middle of nowhere in I believe Oklahoma and now he's putting up a double-double and having um his name beside some of the best players in the country. And then of course Nemius Keda, who a lot of people figured that he was going to be a one and done. Now he's back for year 3. Um we hope that for his sake he can really have a full healthy season that wasn't the case this past year. Um, but Utah State's going to be super reliant on those guys. Um, so I think that I think Namias Kater, Justin Bean will will definitely be a player to watch. I'm really interested to see how Utah State responds. I just, you know, in a post-Merrill world, because you know, as talented as that front court was, it was still kind of Merrill that just kind of carried them down the stretch, especially in that Mountain West tournament. But, you know, as you mentioned, they still just have have so much talent. I did want to ask you just a couple more general things about the Mountain West uh, before I let you go here. But the the decision to go to a 20-game league schedule has been kind of controversial, I guess, in a sense. You have guys like John Rothstein coming out and saying, you know, how the, the smaller leagues need to essentially schedule up, do less league games and and try to schedule up. But then, as a lot of people have pointed out, you know, a lot of these teams in the Mountain West aren't scheduling up anyways. So this makes more sense from a financial standpoint. Where do you stand on this? Yeah, it's it's been something that I feel like I've aligned myself with both ends of it. Uh, I think that the Mountain West itself is probably better off playing fewer games, whether it's 18 or 16, because you do have the chance where, well, now, it, now that it would move to 20 games, you would have San Diego State playing, say, San Jose State twice or Wyoming twice. And it's it's a huge dent on a team's resume. Uh, I, I, the, the net rankings are, I want to say, at least 75% or 80% just strength of schedule based. And that is used so much towards seeding. And if you take San Diego State this past season, they were fortunate enough to get Creighton and Iowa and some of those teams on their non-conference schedule. But if you replace those games with maybe a team out of the SOCON or the Southland or something like that, San Diego State is nowhere near even a top four seed conversation. So I think it's you, sometimes you're better off playing teams out of your own conference that might be a, a net 150 or net 200 team, but sometimes you have a schedule that, that completely falls flat. Um, like Nevada, this uh, the year before, 
was a really good example. I think they had four or five Pac-12 teams on their non-conference schedule and none of them even finished top 50 in the net. So it's it's really it's a toss-up. That's just the struggle of a mid-major team. And I say it time and time again that your non-conference schedule when when you are good is probably the most important part of your offseason because if you have a weak schedule, you just aren't going to be in the conversation for an at-large bid. Hey, CSU fans know that better than anyone when their <laughs> 27-win team didn't make the NCAA tournament. That's highest right. rated RPAI team in the history. Yeah, I still remember just being in shock. Watch, like I knew in the back of my mind that there was a slight possibility just given how weak their schedule was that year. Mm-hmm. But it still just felt like it was like they won so many games. Like, how yeah. do you hold them out? Yeah, that, that whole thing is just completely amplified when it comes to mid-major teams. If you don't have one of those power conference teams on your non-conference schedule or if you don't have a top 25 win, it's pretty much three games or you're out in your conference tournament. And that's just, it's been the case with so many of these quality programs that you see outside of the power six. All right, we'll jump right back into that interview with Eli. We've got plenty of more hoops discussion coming your way. Before I do, though, I do have to talk about my DraftKings pick of the week. Last week, I talked about Bradley Chubb and how I think he is a great pick for NFL Comeback Player of the Year. Now, this, this isn't just something that I'm spewing about. I, put th- I threw $5 on it myself. But now I'm going to tell you about the other player that I threw 5 bucks on uh, to win the same award, uh, you know, there's, there's, it's just fun to kind of forecast look in the future. But AJ Green, superstar wide receiver, of the Cincinnati Bengals, a guy who I compare Warren Jackson to on the regular. I think he's a stud. I think he's in for a big season. They finally got a quarterback in Joe Burrow, and I just think he's he's going to come back in a big way. Maybe it's wishful thinking. I'm a big AJ Green fan. I drafted him in fantasy last year to let him ride the bench all year as he obviously frustratingly never saw the field. But I think he's coming back uh, in a big way. Got plus 1,400 odds. Pretty enticing. A receiver, number one guy, probably going to put up big numbers. Lock it in. Make a little bit of money. That is my pick for DraftKings Pick of the Week. What can the Mountain West do to consistently raise its profile. Obviously, you know, winning games is the easiest answer, and I think scheduling up would help. Um, But to me, I think it just kind of comes down to you need some of these premier institutions like New Mexico, UNLV, to at least be competitive on a consistent basis. Because while it's been good to see programs like Utah State and Nevada on the rise, I still feel like you need those. They're not like blue bloods, but just traditional powerhouses to at least be in the conversation. Yeah, that's I. I received this question on on so many shows that I do related to Mountain West basketball. And I think that is the number one thing is you you have the programs like Nevada, like Utah State, like Boise State, who have come from other conferences and, in my opinion, have done a really really good job within this conference. But when you look at New Mexico, for example, that's a program that has serious tradition. They're consistently top twenty, top twenty five in national attendance. And they really haven't accomplished much of anything uh, since Steve Alford left. And um, there are a number of reasons for that, I would say. It doesn't all fall onto a group of players or a specific coach. But as you mentioned, having New Mexico and UNLV uh, consistently miss the tournament, I think, is is just uh, really limiting Mountain West's potential. Uh, when you go back to 
when this league did send, I think it was five bids to the NCAA tournament, that's when this league combined their traditional programs like New Mexico, like San Diego State and, and UNLV, and combined that with the success of some of the institutions that they brought in. So I think you nailed it. I think that's the most important thing. Uh, non-conference scheduling, of course, will will be a challenge for not only the Mountain West, but for other mid-major conferences as well. But um, as soon as New Mexico and San Diego State and, and UNLV consistently elevate themselves, I think that's when you get a really, really good Mountain West conference. I know it's way too early. I mean, we don't even have announced schedules for a lot of these teams yet, but what are, what's your impression of the Mountain West going into next season? Is this a league that you think should be pretty good? Is it a you know kind of average? Just where do you see the Mountain West next year? I think it probably takes a bit of a step back from this past season. I think trying to rely on San Diego State to be as good as they were this past season is is just a bit far fetched. Uh, Utah State, I think, still takes a step back, even though they do have uh, Kada and Bean. They lose pretty much the bulk of their entire backcourt. Um, but then you do combine it with some of these programs that I think could could be much improved. Boise State is one that is almost a, a surefire 20-win team every year under Leon Rice, and they haven't been that the past two years, but um, they have several transfers coming in. Um, Derek Alston still mulling his NBA draft decision, so they could be especially good. Um, Colorado State's another team to look out for. And then the one wild card one that I'll throw in there, which is a really fascinating situation is Wyoming. Um, yes. That's a, that's a team that Colorado State's obviously familiar with, uh, with what happened in Las Vegas. Uh, but Jeff Linder, he's brought in what is now uh, the conference's top incoming class for, for this uh, offseason, which is just really surprising and it's really good for him. But I, I go back to this time and time again, bringing back your players when you make a coaching change is just huge. And uh, Marvin Manzies, with what happened with him at UNLV, he had to deal with a completely bare roster, and that really set his whole entire tenure back. Um, that's not the case with Jeff Linder. He's got uh, Hunter Thompson back. He's got Hunter Maldonado. A lot of those guys that made an impact in that, that uh, short run that they had in the Mountain West tournament, those guys will, will be back on campus. And I think it's a team that could really sneak up and maybe even finish towards the middle of the pack in the Mountain West next season, which I think would be really good for the league. I agree. I actually, I'm pretty high on Wyoming going into next year. It's a situation where, you know, I don't think it's, I, I think it'd be dumb to put, you know, crazy expectations on them saying like they're going to come in and win 22 games, anything like that. But like you mentioned, they they came on strong at the end of the year, even before the Mountain West tournament, they were, you know, competing well there were a lot of games that they were that were winnable and they just kind of let slip away. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing too. And, and it was obviously a huge surprise with what Wyoming did in the mountain West tournament. No one could have predicted it. I, I definitely <laughs> didn't think Colorado state would slip up the way that they did. And I was unfortunate for the guys there, but they did lose a lot of close games and I, you usually expect that to be a flip flop the following season. So they, they might've lost several one or two possession games this past year, but maybe they'll have uh, better luck this next season. I think just having those guys back, Hunter Maldonado could certainly wind up in the player of the year conversation. If Wyoming is in that, uh, that top half of the Mountain West and just incorporating those Juco transfers who already have that type of experience, I think can, can be really special at the, at the Mountain West level. And, it's a team to look out for. And Wyoming, as you know, and as everyone else in the conference knows, 
that's obviously one of the toughest places to play with their elevation and uh, that crowd can really get behind the program when good things are happening. The last thing here, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Um, throw like contracts and, and the complications out the window. Who, who can, could the mountain West go out and add to replace a team like say San Jose state that would raise its profile from a basketball perspective? I know the obvious answers are going to be like Gonzaga, but just given how the West Coast Conference caters to them, it doesn't really seem that lo- like it would happen, I guess, at this point. They missed the boat on Wichita State a couple of years back. Is there anybody out there that the league could add to really elevate its profile? So this is another thing that's pretty fascinating for me. and it, it, Everyone loves to talk expansion, realignment and stuff, and especially at the mid-major level when you have some quality programs, it's it's something that uh, is brought up a lot. I'm going to go out of left field here, and this is one that I've given some thought to, and you might have seen me mention this a, a few months back, but I think North Dakota State is actually a really fascinating program. They're easily the best um, non-Division one or I guess it's FCS um, football program, so they could, they could probably transition over to D1 and do some fantastic things. Uh, but as far as their basketball program is concerned, they, another team that I say puts up win totals a lot like Boise State. They're usually in that 20 win range. Um, they've, they've had, I think, two NCAA tournament wins over the past handful of years, and both of them were as 12 seeds, I believe. So they, they can consistently win in March. They have a good fan base. Um, attendance numbers are pretty average. Um, I would say the arena size is uh, probably around eighth or ninth in the, in the conference. Uh, but I think it's a program that could definitely elevate the Mountain West. It's, it's another team. I would, I would honestly profile them a lot like Boise State in that sense where you can rely on them to consistently win uh, maybe 17 to 20 games. And I know with Commissioner Craig Thompson, his huge thing for expansion is uh, the football side of football, things. Football, yeah. yeah. And it always comes down to football. Yeah. And that's, it's frustrating well, because... I get it from a revenue generating perspective. Football just generates more basketball does with these institutions. And part of it is just the members that are in here, Wyoming, Boise state, and, and some of these schools are just traditionally more football heavy. Even CSU football is definitely, you know, the bigger background, but it's what frustrates me is if you would have just pulled the trigger a couple of years ago and added, you know, Wichita state and some of these, like you really could just have a phenomenal basketball league. Yeah, it, 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 it's hard to imagine. If you had Gonzaga and Wichita State in this league, you add Mark Few and Greg Marshall, uh, along with whoever the top team out of the, the, the previous Mountain West, you could call it. And that's already a league that could easily compete with the Pac-12. It would be substantially better than the American, now, especially with UConn leaving that conference. And Mountain West is already knocking on that door of being either the seventh or eighth best league in, in the entire nation as it is. So it, I mean, it was unfortunate with how that unfolded. I thought for quite a while that it seemed almost like a done deal and then it just completely collapsed. So it's unfortunate. Um, you hope that if the Mountain West isn't able to expand in a way that brings in another program, you hope that, like we mentioned earlier, that some of those uh, teams within the conference are a- able to elevate themselves and, and just make it back towards that multi-bid league that, that we were used to seeing. Definitely, definitely. Well, Eli, thank you so much for doing this, man. It was great to get your perspective. Great to have you on. 
I definitely going to try and have you on more throughout, you know, the summer with this, with the sim, hopefully, you know, CSU wins the national championship in this simulation. I'm trying to flex my, my coaching abilities a little bit, but uh, (laughs) where can the people find you? You know, where can they see your work? Yeah, you can uh, find me on my personal Twitter account. That's B-O-E-T-T-G-E-R underscore E-L-I. And then I'll have plenty of content over on Heat Check. And that's at Heat Check CBB. Um, and that's across all social media platforms. And we'll be trying to pump out lots of good stuff this summer while everyone's uh, hunkered inside. Excellent. Excellent. Make sure you check out Eli's work. It is top notch. Thank you again for coming on, man. Thanks so much, Justin. I appreciate it, man. I got to talk about my friends over at Breckenridge Brewery. Breckenridge, the official beer of DNVR. Right now, you can get Breck's 15-can sampler delivered right to your door. If you do, make sure that you tag us and tag Davidson's when you deliver through them. Davidson's always has the best offers. I look at the app for deals of the day. You can request, request products to be ordered into the store. And like I said, tweet at us when you go. Supporting our partners is supporting us. Download the Davidson's app today and get their loyalty program. You're not going to want to miss out. Uh, You can always get Breck delivered to you through Drizzly as well. Just so many ways to support Breck and Ridge Brewery. I actually had a couple of strawberry skies over the weekend. It's starting to get warm. Starting to get to that time where you're going to want, you know, something crisp, something refreshing. Strawberry Sky is definitely that. Uh, The other thing that I want to talk about before we jump into that next interview is WGT Golf. WGT Golf is not only the most popular golf game in the world, it's the official gaming partner of DNVR. You can download WGT and join the DNVR Clubhouse by going to dnvrgolf.com. This is the most realistic free golf game. I loved by more than 20 million players around the world. We've got tournaments going like every weekend. Uh, I, I honestly am struggling. I'm not very good, but that's what this summer is all about. I'm going to get good at golf in real life, hopefully, and get good at golf online through WGT. Much love to them. Download and play today and make sure that you join the DNVR Clubhouse. La, 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 la